1: you are and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Fear not. We will be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week. Brook Linen and Blue Apron. They bring the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff kanata that's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who... It seems like every week has to join me in sending our condolences for some place in the world. Uh, And now that place is uh, a little closer to home, right, Christian Spicer? Hello, Christian.
2: Hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Yes, um, uh, another senseless act of violence and uh, horrible wildfires. If you're listening to this on uh, an Apple device, you can donate uh, via the the, the App Store to help the wildfire recovery and help me blend need. It's an easy way to do that. I'm sure you can find other ways as well. And also, on a little more positive note, um, thank you to everybody that voted. Regardless of how you voted, everybody that got up, got out, especially on the East Coast where the weather was bad, stood in line and cast your ballot. Thank you for making your voice heard.
1: Indeed. We got so many emails of people who said it was their first time voting or that they were voting after a long lapse in voting. Uh, I asked people to send emails to that regard and was so delighted to see that it, it, it heartens me and also heartens me that, uh, biggest turnout for a midterm since 1966. That's pretty awesome. So thanks everybody who did that, but yeah, it's been a rough week. Uh, I have to admit, uh, I'm usually really excited to do this show. I am still excited this week, uh, tempered slightly by the fact that I I'm literally been sitting around wondering if I'm going to be evacuated from my home. Uh, it's about two to three miles away that the fire is raging in, uh, in the San Fernando Valley where I live and, uh, we are, uh, we are inundated with smoke. I'm concerned about my children's health. And I wonder if the fires in this uh, swirling wind that we've got over the next three days will, uh, reach my doorstep as, as it has reached so many of the people that I know and care about. I know, um, Many friends and family members that have been evacuated. Some have actually lost their homes. It's a scary time here in California, but um, we get to talk about video games. So I'm, I'm excited to get my mind off it for a, a little while. Um, but I appreciate everybody that's uh, sent kind wishes on Twitter. It's a, It's a crazy time. Um, but I'm really doubly excited because we have an awesome guest, one that I've been wanting to have on the show for a while now. Uh, you know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for Designer Living in Canada because we have Narrative Designer at Co-op, Journalist at Kotaku, and Streamer at Caffeine, as well as a resident of Montreal, Kate Gray is joining us for the first time. Hey, Kate.
0: Hi. How are you? I'm good. Um, I'm excited to know that Canada is spelt with a K, like Kate. To, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Kotaku, uh, Canada, you know, it's the, it's the hard K sound. That's all we care about here.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's all good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's get into the show. We got lots of stuff. There's a ton of uh, of news, including Microsoft's big XO18 event that happened just yesterday. Oh, yeah. So let's uh, let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week it's the story of the week, story of the week gets the story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's 5by5dlc.reddit.com. Five five also, where you can chat about the show, meet like-minded folks, have a good time. I recommend it. It's a cool, cool group of people. Uh, Kate, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week?
0: I am actually quite excited about the Microsoft thing because um, is that the one that's happening in Mexico?
1: It is. It is. Yes, Mexico City. Uh, And they had quite a number of announcements at uh, X018, most notably one. Not one that Christian predicted, but we will get to that. Uh, So let's run down some of the things that they mentioned uh, that were big news. we got a release date for Crackdown 3. The original Crackdown is free in the Microsoft Store until November 30th. A bunch of Xbox Game Pass news, including a whole bunch of new games that are coming to it. But I think the biggest news is that uh, Microsoft Studios has acquired a couple of new Developers uh, into their stable ones that have uh, pretty large fan bases and and pretty cool games to their credit, uh, Obsidian and In Exile, both uh, design, uh, um, developers that specialize in single player narrative role playing games. We can get into that. Uh, and also, I would say another of the big news is that the Xbox One will support mouse and keyboard for the first time officially in 14 titles, uh, including Fortnite. So you can play mouse and keyboard on Xbox One in Fortnite. Kate, uh, among all of that news coming out of the event, what would you consider to be uh, your most exciting, most favorite?
0: You know, I didn't think I was going to be excited about about Crackdown. It's not usually the game i'd like to play but i played it maybe three or four years ago now i think at e3 and i don't know it's sort of stuck in my heart a little bit and so i've been keeping an eye out for when it actually comes out and it looks like that's soon
1: yeah february 15th is the official release date uh I guess I don't think we really needed another February release. There's a lot of big ones, but okay, bring it on. Feb- Crackdown three finally coming out. Uh, of course, if you've been listening to this show, you know that we've talked a lot about Crackdown three over the years. Uh, a big Microsoft first party game that was highly anticipated by me among other, lots of other people, uh, but it has faced numerous delays and kind of underwhelming showings at various uh, conventions and, and uh, press events over the years, in my opinion. But um Boy, what they showed for Crackdown 3 uh, this weekend, I think delivers on the promise that it originally was announced with uh, when they were talking about the Xbox One being an always-on console and the games powered by the uh, the cloud. You know, lots of big promises there. They showed a new multiplayer mode that will be, it's called Wrecking Zone. It will be part of Crackdown 3 when it releases. That actually is what seems to be this vision of what the whole game was going to be. And that is massively destructive environments. Uh, it's a, I think five on five or four on four mode uh, where you're playing teams and uh, you're just, you know, it's sort of a crazy deathmatch in these crazy vertical environments, but everything is destructible and they use, they leverage the power of the cloud to calculate all the physics for all these insane bits and pieces of buildings and bridges and roads, all being destroyed in real time as you blast at your opponents um i'm excited about crackdown 3 in a way that i haven't been up to this point but i'm also sad that it seems like this was what the single player was going to be as well and it's it's not going to be in part of the single player mode um so kate tell me about uh do you think that this this mode is going to catch on is it gonna do you think it's gonna light a fire and and kind of um propel crackdown three to more success than it may have would have uh you know otherwise uh, enjoyed
0: Uh, i was actually surprised when i did first play it at this sort of fan base i guess i i don't know much about crackdown other than there's lots of explosions um and it seems like they're leaning into that part of it and you know people were into that three four years ago so we'll see I'm not sure. I don't want to make a proclamation in case I'm wrong, but people seem to love explosions. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, we are, we've are. we never let uh, being wrong stop us, right, Christian? Because uh, you were wrong about a number of things about this event, which we'll get to. But let me get your, your take on Crackdown 3, because um, finally coming out, it seems like it's got some excitement behind it. The wow factor is is, I think, something that you and I both have been looking for from this game as a potential system seller and finally I think it's got a wow factor. Did you get a chance to see video of the I know you've been on vacation this weekend, so maybe you didn't get a chance to see it, but it,
2: it's pretty wow inducing for me. Yeah, no, I think it had a really great showing and it's it's refreshing to see Crackdown have that showing again because it's been on again, off again, on again, off like the first time they showed it it was very impressive. And then the first hands-on I think was fun. And then was it last year's E3 you felt a little less fun and leaning into um was it Terry Crews is like, this is my vehicle or whatever, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. But this looks really cool. And I think what it is becoming more of, and a lot of Microsoft this kind of ties into the other things they announced at, um in Mexico city, it, it, I mean, it, it is not necessarily, it doesn't need to be a system seller anymore, right? It just needs to be a marquee title on game pass. And so it keeps people like me, Uh, subscribing to Game Pass, and it might be the thing that pushes someone else over the edge to try Game Pass. And so when they have these big known titles being added alongside things like, um, you know, Grip, which I talked about a little bit last week, which was day one on Game Pass, and then some of these other smaller games that they've announced that are coming out, it makes the service have that perception of value the same way Netflix adding you know, big name actors early on to its original programming did of like, okay, this is where I'm going to get these indie movies and quirky things or whatever, but I'm also going to get these big name actors and these big name directors doing this thing. And I think this presentation that Crackdown three had at Mexico city makes it that like, if they put the, the gameplay video that they released uh, this weekend in a trailer, you know, during football or something like that, or basketball for, and it's like game play it now on game pass that's pretty compelling to just be like click, click, play. Uh, I think it makes a really great commercial, which is what it needs to be, you know, as much as anything else. Yeah.
1: I mean, you so you're saying that Crackdown 3 is the house of cards of, of video games.
2: I mean, I tried not to reference Kevin Spacey <laughs> just because he, he's become a little more, t- I, hopefully that uh, Crackdown 3 doesn't have problems five seasons in, but, um, but yes, he is a marquee title. It is a marquee title. Yeah. Um,
1: yes, I clearly Microsoft is all in on game pass. I mean, they, they talked about game pass over and over and over games are now in the same way you used to see the Xbox logo before trailers. Now you're seeing the game pass logo, little stinger before games, uh, in in their trailers, which I think is smart marketing on Microsoft's part. It's, it is, I think creating value in the mind of gamers. And they announced 16 new games for game pass, including, Player unknown's Battlegrounds, Ori in the Blind Forest, Ori in the Will of the Wisps, uh, uh, Void Bastards, <laughs> Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, uh, Mutant Year Zero, a bunch of games here. Thomas Was Alone, Agents of Mayhem. Um, so they're continuing to add more and more games to this service. Uh, Kate, what do you think about Game Pass? Do you think it has the potential to force the hand of, of people like Sony to... Um, add more value to their subscription services? Do you think this is a sort of an arms race that benefits the consumer?
0: Uh, I think the one thing I'm most excited for when it comes to the Xbox Game Pass is that it gets visibility for indies, which is really difficult on consoles. Uh, you know, you've mm-hmm. got games like Thomas Was Alone, um, Pathologic 2, which is an interesting one, uh, and I think Hellblade is Hellblade. I don't know. Indie is yeah, becoming in a really difficult label. But, you know, these these smaller games that um, people don't play as much as the AAA stuff because, I mean, you've probably seen in the internet comment sections of the world, people think that indie games are bad because they don't have, you know, billion dollar budgets or whatever. Um, right. So I think this is a good way to get value to get those games that deserve to be seen out there um, and to get people to appreciate that indie games are not bad.
1: (laughs) Well, they're also going to do a, they announced uh, that they're going to do a winter of arcade, like they used to do summer of arcade. They didn't say what games will be a part of that, but Microsoft traditionally has been really good about highlighting indie developers and making that into an event. And I'm hoping that whatever winter of Arcade turns out to be, uh, that they actually, you know, really double down on what exactly what you're saying, which is um, highlighting great indie developers and great indie games. Um, let's talk a little bit about the developers that they announced having acquired. I think that was some some very, very big news. Uh, Obsidian and Inexile are actually two of my favorite developers because they make the kinds of games that I love, um, in particular, uh, isometric PC-based narrative single-player role-playing games, which doesn't seem particularly compatible with the Xbox One platform, but uh, I don't see why not. And it's also interesting that both Obsidian and in Exile lately have resorted to crowdfunding to start projects that they've worked on uh in exile with bard's tale 4 which i really love and some of their um uh vr stuff which also kind of makes me sad if in exile stops working in vr because microsoft doesn't have a vr platform i'll be very very sad because um mage's tale is i think one of the best games on oculus uh obsidian of course uh has a a great pedigree working on big big games like um Dungeon Siege and Fallout New Vegas and um, Neverwinter Nights and even Star Wars The Old Republic. Lately, they've done things like the Pillars of Eternity series. Um, What do you expect to see from these developers now that they are part of the Microsoft first-party stable, Kate?
0: You know, I I would be really interested in seeing Xbox's plan just to, like, sneak into their office. Maybe that's because I've been playing too much Assassin's Creed and just look at why they <laughs> don't
1: assassinate anybody, please?
0: Well, no, no, I won't. I'll just steal all their treasure. There you go. Um, I want to know why they're acquiring all these studios. You know, um, it seemed like they owned Rare for a long time and weren't doing anything with them. And it's like someone's gone. Oh my god, why don't we make games? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, why don't you like? Yeah. I loved Viva Pinata. They should just crank out Viva Pinata sequels forever. Um, I'm not exactly I'm just, sure that was always
1: ever a, uh, a sales bonanza though. <laughs> I'm not sure that people were, but I, well. I, I liked Viva Pinata as well. I'm not sure it, it did the numbers yeah. that they're looking for.
0: Maybe not, but it is a cult favorite. Um, but one of, one of the studios I really liked and was excited to see more of was Press Play, which I think is a Danish studio that, um, Microsoft owned. Uh, they released a game called Kalimba that, which is one of my only 10 out of 10 games, wow. uh, and then they shut the studio down on the same day they shut down Lionhead, mm. and I I just don't want Microsoft to go shutting down a bunch of amazing studios. You know, that's what I'm afraid of.
1: Well, I it's a it's a justifiable fear if uh, past is precedent, right? Um, but yeah. certainly it, it seems like they recognize that how Sony was was eating their lunch uh, this generation is the fact that they had so many high profile premiere. First-party exclusives. I think Microsoft recognized that they had a giant hole in their uh, in their library that way. So I think these are two excellent pickups for them. If if you're looking for really high-quality developers that can give you that that triple A incredible experience, and certainly with the added resources that Microsoft brings to the table, and you don't have to have in exile, you know, doing Kickstarters or or GoFundmes anymore for their, you know, for for their games like. Wasteland 3. Makes me curious, Wasteland 3 is still not out. Uh, is that going to be... I wonder if that's been carved out and they'll make that game and then whatever uh, Microsoft wants will come after that because that clearly is a, a PC title. Although, you know, Microsoft does Windows, so maybe they want PC titles. Uh, Christian, what's your take on these two
2: acquisitions? Yeah, I wonder if part of the keyboard-mouse support is for these two acquisitions and mm. well, certainly Interesting. shooter fans have been clamoring for it. I personally enjoy not having keyboard mouse on console because I'm not as skilled with them. Levels the
1: playing field for you a bit. Yeah. A
2: little bit. I'm curious now how these games, and I think it would be case by case, you know, how they um, uh, match make based on keyboard mouse or, or, or controller. But you know, there were rumors and I think they talked a little bit about it. I only scrubbed through it with like the 90 minute presentation. Um, But like Game Pass coming to PC and certainly the Microsoft games are already, you know, Forza and Sea of Thieves. And so if you have these two developers that have a great track record making PC games, certainly I think it would need to be able to be playable with a controller. But it kind of helps with that argument of, oh, well, you can't play it for real on console. If it's like, yes, you you can. We have controller support, but also plug in a keyboard and mouse, you know, like play the game however you want to play it. And I'm curious well, it's it's the it's
1: worth noting though that it is a game by game support. So it, your game has to accept the support of the keyboard and mouse. It doesn't just work with everything. I think that's you know important to to
2: note. Yes, correct. But I feel like for uh, these two developers, it would make right. sense. I could see them wanting that support in their game, or Microsoft kind of pushing for it. But I think the thing that struck me the most about the announcement is whether like you know we are want to remain we want them to remain independent right like they even talked about how there was a track record of um an exile and obsidian kind of working together before And it's like no we're not going to try to force them to be one studio um for us we want to keep all of these studios independent and working on different projects and you know we'll see every they're saying the right things right now but i think kate makes great points where it's microsoft has kind of gone through this feast and famine approach with first party development and studios where they bring a bunch in and and then they shut a bunch down and now they're bringing a bunch in and and hopefully it leads to something productive because they they certainly have a stable of talent now that I'm curious when these games start coming out, but um, they seem well poised for if not five years in the future, you know, hopefully sooner, but at least at least then.
1: Well, I think it it certainly points to Microsoft uh, seeding this generation and going all in on the next, right? We see a lot of maneuvering on whatever Project Scarlet is going to be. And then you have all these acquisitions, and you're right. We're not going to see games from these companies, these developers uh, in the short term. This is like two, three years away, minimum on some of this stuff and and probably longer. So maybe what you'll see is just a, a really amazing lineup of games Uh, with whatever the next Xbox console is called in in its early, early months and
2: year. Um, What do you mean they announced the next Xbox console at this conference, (laughs) Jeff? they talked about it. They detailed it for 30 minutes. I was right. Okay, let's move on.
1: Yeah. So yeah, uh, Christian, you thought that they would. Clearly they did not. Uh, I just want to gloat for just a
2: moment about that. Hey, what's that saying? Even an accurate clock is wrong? Twice. Um,
1: <laughs> I don't think that's how that goes, but uh, you know. Even
2: a perfectly uh, Greenwich time digital clock is wrong <laughs> twice a day, I think. Greenwich, Greenwich. I don't Greenwich. know. Greenwich. Yeah, yeah, even
1: a pronunciation of Greenwich is wrong. Yeah, at least twice a uh, day
2: from a pr- professor in, in uh, linguistics. Yeah, something like that. A
1: <laughs> couple of other things I want to note from the event. Uh, one of my favorite games for Xbox One, no, excuse me, for Xbox 360, uh, is Civilization Revolution. Uh, It is, I think, the perfect form of civilization if you're intimidated by civilization. Uh, It it is one of the very few Xbox games that I have a perfect gamer score on because I did everything in it. I'm I becoming loves...
2: increasingly scared of civilization. Is this the one for me then?
1: Yeah, this is. It. Well, I'm <laughs> modern. Yeah, if your actual actual civilization, uh, Civ Rev is an excellent game, and it is coming to Xbox One in an enhanced form. I'm excited about that. Also, major Final Fantasies. All the all the Final Fantasies. Well, not all of them. There's a lot of Final Fantasies, but many of them are coming backwards compatible to Xbox One uh there will be starting next week uh 13 and 132 and lightning returns for th- Xbox 360 will be backwards compatible uh Final Fantasy 7, 9, 10, X2 or 102 and uh 12 are also all coming to Xbox One sometime in 2019. So uh we saw Sony talk about that uh and now or excuse me Nintendo talked about it, right? Nintendo talked about it. And now uh, Microsoft is doing it as well. So, um, Kate, are you a Final Fantasy fan?
0: Oh, no, this is going to get me, like, a lot of angry comments. But Final Fantasy is one of the biggest gaps in my video game knowledge. I am just not a JRPG person. But I I started uh, (laughs) 9 recently. Mm -hmm. um, And I want to love it because uh, my housemate loves it so much. So much. So much. And I'd like to be able to bond with... My housemate over a shed. love of this one very specific game, but
1: it's <laughs> some no. of those are, you have to be, have to have been there, you know, like know. some of them, it's just like at the time it made it meant a lot, like yeah. seven. I think people will play seven. Now it's like, well, what is everybody so excited about? Well, because nothing was doing this then everything does it now, but uh, you know, it's that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I grew up Nintendo, so I, I have a lot of gaps in my knowledge. Um, about playstation and xbox games um i've caught up on a lot but yeah final fantasy it is it's tough to get into it now because it's like i'm playing the witcher on the one hand and then i'm like oh everyone's made of like three triangles cool
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's a bit uh it's it's much more difficult to to step back in time sometimes with certain things for sure Um, But anyway, I thought it was a pretty interesting event from Microsoft's perspective. I mean, it wasn't E3 level, but I thought they had some great great stuff. And I think I'm right there with you, Kate, on Crackdown 3 being the biggest takeaway. It really now feels like a much more um, something Microsoft can hang their hat on and be a reason to have an Xbox and a reason to have, quite frankly, Game Pass. I mean, Game Pass is, is... Really, a compelling product in so many ways. Uh, And they are, they recognize that. And I think they're emphasizing and underlining that in every way they can.
2: Christian, what is your story of the week? I I do think the Microsoft stuff was the biggest stuff, but also from this, um, I think it was first on Reset Era is kind of how it started getting the word out. Uh, But Nintendo Japan posted job listings on their official site, advertising. Bots on the Legend of Zelda team in mm-hmm. Kyoto, and so of course all the flags went up. Of I, I when I was reading about this, it seemed like there were two two camps that came up. One was, oh yeah, they're hiring another Zelda incoming, and the other one was, wait, they're they're just now hiring for the next Zelda. Oh, it's going to be ten years, and it was like this excitement of like, yeah, Zelda, and then like, oh, so far away, Zelda. But, <laughs> but yeah, one it's is like- for topography. Dungeons, level concept design, and then the other one is a broad... This I think this is the scarier one. <laughs> a broad level designer responsible for more generalized game content, such as enemies, world design, dungeon design planning, which to me is like Zelda 2027. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like, how do we make a game?
1: We need someone to make a game, please.
2: Can you make yeah. a game for us? Uh,
1: yeah. But it is, it is obvious, right? We knew a, a new Zelda would happen. It's exciting that it seems like there's some progress there at least uh you know they're hiring up for it they're revving that team back up that's exciting it's been what two years since breath of the wild came out so about time to get cranking on the next one please my question the thing this brings this brings up for me and i would love to hear you both of your takes on that is uh what do we want the next zelda to be because breath of the wild of course changed the formula so drastically do you do that again? Kate, I'm I'm curious. Do you want a Breath of the Wild style experience in a new land with new shrines and new kinds of things? Is that the new template for Zelda? Or do they go back to the more traditional dungeons and acquiring things in a linear way, Zeldas? Or option C, do they try something equally as radical and take... Zelda in an entirely new direction yet again. What would you? What would be your preference if you had the magic power to decide?
0: <laughs> this is assuming I'm not the one they're going to hire. Um,
1: oh, I hope you are. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't even think I, of that.
0: No, exclusive, I can't do any of those exclusive. things. No. <laughs> <laughs> we just got a scoop. I don't even speak Japanese. I think that would yes. be a major roadblock. Um, <laughs> well, okay, so my, my favorite Zelda, um, slightly unconventional choice is Majora's Mask. Um, I think the best elders are the ones with really, really interesting narratives. And I loved Breath of Wild, Breath of the Wild. Um, but narrative wasn't that strong really, uh, because it was more about the exploration and the climbing and the seeing something and running to it. And it was non-linear and I'm, I'm happy with the non-linear aspect, less happy with the sort of light on narrative aspect and I I would like to see them maybe not change things up entirely because I mean they need a nap probably but manage to combine the thing that was great about old Zelda's with what's great about Breath of the Wild somehow I mean that's a big task isn't it
1: <laughs> Well no I mean uh, we have the this is the magic power question so I, I love it mm-hmm. um I would I would suggest just if anybody's listening uh, don't be critical of uh, Breath of the Wild's narrative at least in a tweet because uh, people don't take kindly to that. I, my, I had a tweet that went viral because I was critical of Zelda's oh, narrative. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I think that was the money. only
2: reason why that it tweet was a took big off. part
1: of it. It was a big part of it. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, no, I'm I think that's an excellent uh, suggestion. I I'm more inclined to to want it to go back to old Zelda, but but I know that's very unpopular of me. I think it would be much more difficult for them to sort of re recapture what made Breath of the Wild such a breath of fresh air. Uh, I think doing that again might not feel as amazing as the first time, but what do I know? They have, they seem to have the ability to, to conjure uh, magic
2: themselves. Uh, Christian, what is your, what's your take on what you would like from the next Zelda? So I'm of two minds. One is give me more of the same, and that would be playing to Kate's, I think, um, favorite of Majora's Mask, right? That was more of the same of Ocarina of Time. They, they took an established template, were able to play with it, add a, a dark narrative to it, and do things that subverted expectations because they were built on the, the immediate game prior to that. And I think that's really cool. I think another example of Nintendo doing a great job at that is Mario Galaxy 2, where the first mm-hmm. Galaxy was incredible, and then the second one is the definitive version of that, in my opinion. I think people hold... The first galaxy in higher regard because it was the first one that kind of blew people away with these spherical worlds. But the, I think the second one is the refined, polished, more creative version of that. Um, so I think doing something like that with Breath of the Wild would be really interesting and fascinating to see what it could do. It wouldn't feel as revolutionary, but I think it would become the perfected version of that. Um, then the other thing, if they didn't do that, an approach I think would be interesting would be if they could apply, it needs to be bigger. But apply what I would call the Mario Odyssey approach to it, where it's like a Zelda that has a whole bunch of worlds that pay homage to all of the other Zeldas in in ways that Odyssey was able to do. So like, I mean, this game could be massive, but if there's like a Breath of the Wild land and a Link Between Worlds land and an Hmm. Ocarina of Time land and you're kind of warping in and out of these things that are self-contained and rich and interesting and not just dungeons, like they all have little overworlds and then maybe a couple of dungeons and you're bouncing between those. I think it could be really fascinating to do something that, you know, pays tribute to all of the great Zelda games that have come before and do it in an interesting and fresh way the way I think Odyssey did for Mario. And really both of those ideas seem easy to do. So (laughs) (laughs) Nintendo pick one, right?
1: Well, I think one thing we can be certain of is that uh, whatever is the next Zelda, it will arrive just in time for the Switch to be replaced. And uh, it'll it'll live in this weird limbo between the Switch and the next console. And then it'll come out on the next one, like a week before it comes out on Switch and it'll be awkward for everybody to purchase. And that's, that's what Zeldas are for now. Evidently. Um, Oh, my story of the week. Uh, Again, Xbox stuff is is pretty big, but I was intrigued by this story that happened relatively early in the week. Uh, that feels like the f- the suits at Activision Blizzard kind of throwing uh, the team at Bungie under the bus a bit, uh, and in their investor call that happened this week. Activision Blizzard recorded, uh, reported their third quarter fiscal results for 2018 and talked about how great Call of Duty Black Ops 4 is doing. It's outperforming Black Ops 3 and a lot of the previous Call of Duties. It's really, uh, I think, proving to them, why spend money on a single player? We don't need to do that. But also, more importantly than that, they said that uh, Destiny 2 Forsaken has underperformed and they are looking for ways to quote re-engage the core fan base and also potentially uh, find other methods of monetization Uh, quote new opportunities for monetization, which is I think a little scary thing for anybody fans of video games to hear. Um, Luke Smith came out with a a tweet in response this week uh, saying that, their goal is to create a game that excites fans and that the folks at Bungie want to play. And that's what they're going to continue to do. But boy, it feels like a swipe at that team. Kate, what is your response or reaction to, to, to this?
0: Um, I, I almost wonder if the fact that it's like not doing as well as they expected was because destiny was such a huge hit. And I think a lot of AAA studios are looking at Fortnite and being like, I want that. And, I don't know. I, maybe this is this is bad of me to say, but Activision Blizzard has a lot of money. I think they'll be okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for sure. Um, that's for sure. It's interesting because if you look at the sort of uh, reactionary layer of the community, they seem to have never been happier about Destiny 2 than with this Forsaken expansion. They seem to have uh, very positive things to say about it and yet it maybe isn't doing uh, the numbers that Activision Blizzard would want. Certainly, it's a much more competitive landscape for that kind of game than ever before. Uh, more games are doing what Destiny 2 does than, you know, this perpetual loop of uh, grinder shooters. I mean, even putting out Call of Duty Black Ops for, I think, eats the lunch of your own game in a lot of ways. I would, I would imagine a lot of that, uh, a lot of that, player base is the same has a lot of overlap between those two games uh christian what's your take on on this news
2: yeah it's it's interesting and i'm not sure you know investor calls are often dry and just to the point and maybe it did underperform and i, I do think activision is looking to you know what is the next Fortnite? what is that next huge monetization thing and and Black Ops is doing so well for them. And that is following a trend um, Like you mentioned. It's, it's really performing really well. And then at BlizzCon, I don't want to, do, you know, I'm talking about the controversy, but mobile is huge, right? So Blizzard and they had said that all of their IPs are going to be on mobile and they have, you know, people internal and important at the studio working on, you know, seeing, exploring that avenue for all of their major franchises. And they're looking for ways where the gaming landscape is changing and what is it going to be to drive revenue for them? And while Destiny was this ambitious 10-year cycle game back when Destiny 1 was an actor, you think even before that, when Bungie was first acquired by Activision or they signed into this partnership, You know how much has the gaming landscape changed just from that announcement now to the first uh, DLC pack or large expansion of Destiny 2, where you're seeing things that are very different in terms of how things are monetized and you know, what Overwatch did and Fortnite and PUBG adding the Battle Pass kind of loop gameplay loop. Now Call of Duty Black Ops 4 adding it, Rocket League adding it with the Rocket Pass, how much money FIFA is still making with its um, gotcha card packs and things like that. And so I could see Activision looking at Destiny and thinking, like, how do we change this franchise to be something that falls in line with where monetization in games for for these big perpetual game seems to be going. And I think in that respect, it makes sense, even if that seems like a game I wouldn't be interested in. Like, that seems scary to me personally. But I think objectively, from a business argument, that that seems to make sense. And whether or not it underperformed, I could see it underperforming as it's this thing that was an expansion, and their messaging about how to get it wasn't exactly clear. Like, if you bought Forsaken, you'd also still need to have these other two expansions, and to get the whole thing, it was 80 bucks. Well, here's a 60 buck version. Like, it wasn't as clean and neat as I think Forsaken King was when it came out. And it, it's, you know, aside from Black Ops 4 maybe taking some of its own players, just there were a lot of great games that came out when a perceived expansion came out. So do you want to get an expansion for this game that you've maybe moved on from? Or do you want to jump in new at this expansion that's maybe a little cl- unclear about how you jump into it? Or do you want to play God of War... Spider-Man, Black Ops Forge is this new thing, Forza, uh, Sea of Thieves, which got a a huge patch and is in Game Pass. There was so much out there that I I think it was um, difficult territory for Forsaken to make large waves in, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I think you make great points there. Um, It's interesting. It's interesting. I wonder if we'll see uh, Destiny 2 continue to evolve or if they will focus on what we heard, the rumor of uh, Destiny 3 kind of spinning up. I wonder if they'll maybe uh, move on that way. Interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, The exact quote is, um, this is from the COO, Cody Johnson. uh, While Forsaken is a high quality expansion with strong engagement and new modes of play, it did not achieve our commercial expectations. Interesting. Um, All right, well, let's move on. Uh, I do have to thank our first sponsor, which is Brooklinen. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I get very little sleep these days, but thank goodness I have Brooklinen. (laughs) <laughs> in my bed, because the the very little sleep that I get at least is nestled between a very very comfortable, luxurious Brooklyn and sheets. I, I'm tr- I'm I'm serious. I love my Brooklyn and sheets. They're the nicest sheets I've ever owned in my life. And uh, I actually didn't know how much difference great sheets can make to your sleep. But it is my goodness. It's nice to have really luxurious, comfortable sheets to slide in between when you go to sleep. Um, and this company, they, they know what they're doing. Uh, Brooklyn and sheets were named the winner of the best online betting category by good housekeeping. They have rave reviews from business insider. Um, they basically decided to create super high quality sheets, but not make them super high expensive because like a lot of these online companies, they can cut out the middleman and just send it directly to you over the internet and they can reduce costs. So these are luxury sheets without the luxury markup. And you can see that by looking at their website, most betting is marked up as much as three hundred percent. But when they take out the middleman and keep things personal just between the customer and uh, Brooklyn, and it becomes possible to get the stuff that you would normally pay an arm and a leg for uh, at a much more reasonable price. Uh, these These look really nice. My wife actually helped me um, pick out some really nice. Who am I kidding? She picked them because I have no taste, but uh, she picked some really nice gray and white striped ones. They have a lot of different colors and varieties. Uh, check these out. Uh, my Brooklyn and sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. And you should try them out because Brooklyn is giving an exclusive offer just for listeners of DLC. You get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code DLC at Brooklyn and Brooklyn is so sure you'll love your new sheets they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. Comforters. That's amazing. That's amazing. Lifetime warranty, 60-night satisfaction guarantee, and the only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code DLC. Brooklinen, these really are the best sheets ever. play in this Time to talk about the games we have been playing. There are many, but uh, Kate, you have one that I have heard so many wonderful things about, and I have been so curious about it. uh, Seeing screenshots certainly doesn't entice me very much, but I hear this game is really worth overlooking the sort of drab presentation. Return of the Obra Dinn. Tell me about it.
0: That's right. Uh, I'm I'm a sucker for murder mystery games, and... Very rarely, I think, are they done well, or to my satisfaction. And Return of the Oberdin is, I guess, everything I didn't know I was looking for. And it's actually kind of terrible because now I can't find anything else like it. I (laughs) want to play it again, but it being a murder mystery, I can't. And so I I want to, someone did uh, advise me that the best thing to do was take some brain altering substances so that I would actually forget what happened and I could play it again but I I'm not sure if it's worth that um (laughs) so basically uh you mentioned screenshots it is a weird looking game it's done in a sort of monochrome um it's a dark colored background uh with usually white or another light color on top of it to to represent the goings-on on the ship the Obra Dinn that has just floated back into port after I think five years of being missing and everything is dithered, uh, which means it is causing a lot of people some really difficult nausea issues. I hear I was fine, but mm. I, I don't get seasick or travel sick. So I'm very lucky. Um, but that is something to maybe watch out for. You can fiddle with the settings and hopefully that'll fix it. Um, But the ship floats in to port five years after disappearing off the coast of Africa, and everyone on board is dead. Uh, So 60-something crew members, passengers, royalty, all dead, and you have to piece together what happened using a magical pocket watch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I played a game with a magical pocket watch this week as well. Um, So... What what is it about this game that makes it so special? Is it just the writing? Is it the writing of the mystery, or is there something more?
0: Um, it's it's a combination of so many things. It's, it's made by Lucas Pope, who made Papers, Please, which is a game when the first time I played it, I played till 4 a.m., and hmm. that's something. I like playing video games for long stretches of time, and I don't usually stay up till 4 a.m. I was unemployed at the time. Maybe that was a factor, um, <laughs>
1: you started playing at three a.m. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so it's it's him making it, and the whole two color thing is is one of the methods he uses to kind of lighten the workload on himself. Uh, there's that. There's no animation, or like very, very, very little animation, um, because it's told through sort of still scenes. That's how the magic pocket watch works. Um, And so you're sort of walking around this still scene because you could move, but you're sort of seeing the moment of someone else's death and trying to figure out from clues you can barely see who died, how did they die, who killed them, and also getting clues from what's happening in the background. And uh, it tells you a few things at the start, you know, like how to identify people, how to check things, Um, your fates are validated three fates at a time. So it kind of stops you doing too much guesswork. Um, and then you figure out other things like how to find clues. There's one clue that's based on looking on someone's hand. There's one clue that's based uh, on looking at the, like the color of someone's stockings. Uh, mm. It gets very, very difficult and very, very clever. Uh, and I also want to make a, a mention of the music uh which i i forget who did i don't think it was lucas pope who did the music but i could be wrong i should have checked that uh it's just very good it's sparse but very tense and there are these certain sort of musical cues that you just they shouldn't send shivers down your back it's just like a little bit of strings but it's mm. incredible it's so good
1: people keep talking about it as as a game of the year contender and i'm so intrigued um but i i, I have to admit i am i'm superficial and shallow enough to have the visuals be a, a big turnoff but you're saying it's worth it's worth that and and it sounds like you're actually saying that the visuals enhance the experience
0: i think so because it makes it a little harder to tell what's going on if you could see things like colors and faces in better fidelity it wouldn't be so much of a mystery i think that actually hmm plays a big role. Um I would recommend if you are going to play it. I played it uh I played it for a few hours on my own and then I completed it with my partner and it was so much better for that because he would notice things that I didn't. It kind of felt like we were sort of a Sherlock and Watson team except we were both Sherlock. Um <laughs> and it was I don't want to be like it made our relationship stronger, but like what if it did. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's amazing. I love that. I, I've definitely had that experience before. You know, you love sitting around where one person's just in control, but everybody is participating. I think that's, that sounds like a fantastic way to play this game.
0: Exactly. Yes. I think someday I want to make a list of single player games that are secretly two or more player games, because that one's definitely one of them. It would make a good party game with the right people even.
1: Yeah. We used to we used to do that in college all the time. We'd play Resident Evil or even Zelda like that, where if you were in control of the game, it meant really very little as far as deciding what to do next. Everybody would chime in and it would be this this communal experience. That's one of my favorite ways to play anything, really.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've played Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time a few times. And mm. uh, I guess I, I got the same feeling from Return of the Obra Dinn, where it's kind of like everybody's working together for the same purpose. And that's quite nice.
1: Yeah, wow, it sounds like a really, really interesting game. Um, let's talk a little bit about Assassin's Creed Odyssey because you said you've been pouring hours into that game. So have I. I uh, made a conscious decision to abandon um, Red Dead 2 and just go back to AC Odyssey because I loved it so much. And I was like, I just, I miss, I just want to play that game. Um, you are loving it, I take it?
0: Yes, it is satisfying. It's the equivalent of... Video game pizza, you know, it's not—it's <laughs> not like the best sushi you're gonna have in your life, but it's a very satisfying uh, sort of meal that you can right. you can sit down and have anytime, um, and you can. It's sort
1: eat of a—it it feels sort of like a, uh, a, a an all you can eat buffet. There's a lot of it, and it's frequently good uh but it it just keeps coming they just keep bringing more (laughs) courses don't they
0: yes i have played a surprising (laughs) amount of assassin's creed games um having not really been into it at the start uh and i i do really like them and i do also think that the last three or four games now have been the same (laughs) with some changed up elements um it's, it's fun to snipe people with a bow and arrow and to jump onto them and stab them in the neck. Uh, it's fun to run around ancient Greece. And I actually did ancient Greek and Latin for my degree. So I'm getting extra out of it. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Socrates. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it does. I, I don't understand when people sort of review an Assassin's Creed game and go, wow, it's it's game changing. It's, it's so innovative. I'm like, nah. It's it's a good Assassin's Creed game, you know. They've got a formula and it works and they do it and it's fine. I'm fine with that. Just don't pretend it's new.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think they've they've refined this uh this particular formula into one that I really enjoy and it, it just kind of scratches all of the things I want from an open world game. It just it it, it you know, it honors my ability to have agency, it rewards my curiosity. It Always provides fun things. It's constantly giving me new bits and bobs to put on my character, which I enjoy. Um, The the world is fascinating and and cool. I mean, the other night I like dove down into a volcano, uh, which
0: oh, I've done that. So
1: cool, so I had to
0: run away again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, even the the ship combat I find to be fun. uh, Just every part of it in isolation is kind of fun and adding up into this massive world. that is just staggeringly huge. It's amazing to me. There are that number of encampments and things to see and do. And yeah, a lot of them can be reduced to, you know, kill a few people here, loot the treasures there, but somebody had to make sure there were effective, uh, stealth, positions in every one of those locations and they all are laid out in really smart ways where you can kind of tactfully take down the things without never being detected and all of that is super satisfying and I've, I find it you know we've had a previous guest call it kind of cookie cutter if so I like cookies I really dig cookies yeah so keep cutting that's them what as I mean far it, as I'm concerned about
0: the pizza it's like I like pizza yeah right but right. it is it is yeah. pizza it's always pizza
1: <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Also, uh, you noted here that you are replaying Sorcery.
0: I am, uh, for a reason that I forget. Probably work. (laughs) Um, I think think someone was looking for similar games to what they were trying to make, and I said Sorcery, and then my brain went, hey, yeah, that was a good game. So I downloaded all four of them, because I don't think I ever made it to the fourth one, and I'm playing through, and it's just so good. It's just smart and... Friendly? Is that an odd word to use for a video game? Um, I
1: think it's a delightful word to use for a video game. Yeah,
0: and I mean, it just has some very clever ways of making a choose-your-own-adventure into a game that's satisfying without feeling like you're just turning pages, you know? Um, If you get to the end of something and you haven't got the whole puzzle figured out, it'll come up with some clever twist that means you can go back and, and maybe check it out a second time. And... It doesn't make you feel bad for doing that. It makes you feel like, oh, maybe that was just part of the story. Um, it's got some really good storytelling in it, which I think is probably all Steve Jackson's work because he's the one who wrote the books initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's quite sparse in terms of like art. You've pretty much just got a map and every now and again, a drawing of a monster. Um, but it's more about the story than it is about what you're looking at, I guess.
1: And are you playing these on mobile, on on your phone? I am, yeah. Yeah, on uh, iPhone or – because they're available on everything. And they're also on Steam, I think, really? too, right?
0: Uh, I think the iOS platform or any mobile platform for me is is the best one for sorcery because it is – you can take it in bite-sized chunks. Um, I'm comparing a lot of things to food today. I think I probably need to eat after this. But, <laughs> <Wow>. um, <laughs> uh it, it is, you know, you can sit down on the train, you can play it for 15 minutes, and you can sort of feel good about that. It doesn't feel like you're cutting into something halfway through. Uh, all the quests are quite short, quite easy to to sort of go in and out. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if I'd play it on Steam.
1: Hmm. Uh, again, that's Sorcery, uh, which we, I think, have been mispronouncing because it has an exclamation point at the end. So it should be Sorcery! <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, there's four of them. At this point. Uh Christian, what about you? What's on your playlist?
2: Yeah, I've been playing a lot of um dark forest chocolate cake with fresh cream and um a raspberry <laughs> Well, you are in drizzle. Vegas, right? <laughs> yeah, with like a mint leaf that you brush aside mm-hmm. and the presentation is just exquisite. And um so I am in Vegas and I brought my Switch and I have plenty of games I can be playing on my Switch. I can still be trying to beat Mega Man 11 which uh, Dr. Wily's uh, castle is the worst. I hate it <laughs> until I beat it. Then I will love it and be like, this is the game of the year. Uh, <laughs> but right now I hate it. Um, but I keep going back to Diablo three, a game that I have played the vanilla version of six years ago. And uh, to keep the, the food metaphors rolling, it, it is comfort food. It plays so well on switch. It is so easily pick up and playable It runs great in handheld mode. I'm playing as a Necromancer, which I hadn't played before because the character wasn't available in the vanilla version. And um, I'm just wrecking shop with her. Like, you know, is it the sharpest 4K version? No. But do I have like a 10 skeleton army plus two other sorcerers that I spawn taking down 15 other demons on screen? And then I erupt their corpses to take out more demons that spawn? Yeah. And is it running pretty dang smoothly? Yes, is it a six-year-old game? Y- yeah, sure, but it plays so well on Switch in that the the way that they do their little you know dopamine bursts of you getting what feels like meaningful loot is pays so perfectly. Again, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir to everyone that's played it, but in the event that you haven't or you haven't played it in a while, um, I know Jeff, you've been playing it, but I think Diablo Three on Switch is such a great such a great fit for like traveling just playing on the couch uh playing at work for 10 minute break instead of you know flipping through us weekly or whatever i find it scratches all of those itches when i just want to sit down and do something nine times out of ten this past week it's been diablo
1: yeah the, what, what that game does so well is makes you feel op all the time every every new thing you're able to do it's like they're letting me do this now <laughs> i can do that that just I, I feels like the... the skeletons following me. Yeah.
2: N- nothing can stop me. Yeah.
1: I just, they the game must be broken because I should not be able to do this. And then of course, you know, you continue to ramp up the challenge and then you get the new crazy thing. You're like, Whoa, I can, now they explode. I can do that now. Uh, it's uh it's a, it's really wonderful game design from that perspective of, of just making you feel like you're always overpowered. And, um, and yeah, you know, we, we talk about uh, the Xbox one getting mouse and keyboard This feels like one of those rare games that began its life as a click, click, click game, but man, does it feel really good not click, click, clicking all the time to play Diablo. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's blasphemous. Um, I certainly have clicked my way through lots of Diablo games, but having that direct control over the character and moving around and having dive rolls and stuff. I know anybody that's played them on, PlayStation 4 or Xbox, because Diablo 3 has been available for those for a long time, understands, but you're right, taking it on the go, having it with you all the time, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, Um, do we wish it, it has some new content, yes, I do, other than I guess, you know, Ganondorf's armor, that doesn't really count to me as new content, but, uh, I yeah I wish it had a, a new expansion or a new something. It would be fun, but it 's a pretty great game that i 've dumped many, many hours into and if it was if it was on anything other than switch, I kind of wouldn 't bother because i right. wouldn 't take the time to play it when I could be playing something else. but because switch can be with me when i can 't be
2: playing other things, I will so they got so me again i 'll extend your blasphemy and take it the farthest you can direct all feedback to um. Jeff is wrong at gmail.com for any of this. Um, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't exist, by the way.
1: <laughs> I, DLC I think, feedback at gmail.com. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it
2: on the <laughs> I'll, I'll see it. Uh, I'll take it. I, I think this is the best version of this game. This is this game's most realized, purified version. Is it the sharpest? No. Does it have the best control? N- no. I, I mean, there are a few times when you're doing a ranged attack, you're not as precise as mouse and keyboard, <laughs> but everything about it being put all into this package that you can play anywhere and everywhere. To me, this is the, the perfected version of this six year old game is the switch version. So send all hate mail, the hmm. DLC feedback at gmail.com. I realize I'm wrong, but to me, this is that game perfected.
1: Well, speaking of mail and Diablo, uh, I should mention that we got a lot of feedback about our discussion about Diablo immortal last week. And I really appreciate, uh, the comments. Everybody was really thoughtful and interesting, and even people that vehemently dis- disagreed with me, and there were many, that, uh, that had problems with my characterization of the, of the backlash. Uh, I appreciated the, uh, the thoughtful commentary and the explanation people said. Uh, they, they laid out why they were upset about it. A lot of people did agree with me, which I appreciated as well. So thanks f- for all of the, the feedback. You can always send emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com we appreciate them uh, so so. Thanks for for being an awesome community that can have a uh, a grown up discussion about things. It means a lot. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, most of what I played this week uh, lives in the VR category, so we'll move on to that. Uh, I do want to thank our second sponsor, which is Blue Apron. Talk about something that is convenient, something that makes your life better, something that's the best version of something. The best version of cooking for me. Whew, Blue Apron. I'm not joking. I, uh, it has changed my life. It has changed my life. Um, what Blue Apron does is they send you farm fresh ingredients and step-by-step recipes right to your door in a box once a week. Uh, these recipes I think are Restaurant quality, they are so good. But I make them myself, and it has changed my life. I have become somebody that enjoys cooking. I look forward to it. I get excited when the new Blue Apron comes. I load up the app on my phone, and I pick out the recipes for the next few weeks coming up. I get so excited about that because you can choose from a bunch uh, from a, a bunch of different recipes that that they offer. Uh, they have all kinds of different food options. They have, you know, they have vegetarian recipes. It's It is delightful when they arrive. It's delightful when I can cook for my family. I feel like I'm able to provide for my wife and kids, Uh, do something useful, and know that they're eating really well, delicious food, prepared by me. I know exactly what's going into it. We're eating better. Portions are, are more reasonable. And this isn't something you need to invest tons of time in. Some of the meals cook in as little as 20 minutes they give you exactly the portion that you need of the ingredients. So you don't have a bunch of waste at the end. So you feel better about that, you're not wasting a bunch of food either. You don't have to worry about figuring out what to buy. You don't have to worry about going to the grocery store as often. It's, it's improved my life immeasurably and I love it. It's delicious. We just had last night I cooked a a shrimp meal. I should have brought the card. Usually I bring the card in and read it, but, um, it was so good. Everything they have. And if you want to check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free, we're going to hook you up. Blueapron.com slash DLC. Check out the menu. Just see if it looks good. I'm telling you, I eat much more variety, much better stuff because Blue Apron is in my life. That's blueaproncom slash DLC to get your first three meals free. Why not? Check it out. Try it. See if you like it. Blue Apron. A better way to cook.
0: VR. Just VR.
1: Well, I have a lot of VR to talk about. I'm very excited, but having Kate here, I'm even more excited because you've actually worked on a game that was released on the PlayStation VR platform uh, Nog, right?
0: I should say I, I didn't work on that. Oh, um, you didn't? I, oh,
1: I'm sorry. I work I,
0: at the company who worked on that, but I, I joined afterwards. I mean, they've been working on it behind me, They're literally <laughs> next to me where I sit in the office. So uh, may, maybe they'll thank me in the credits <laughs> well, and, I've, for snacks, I, I guess.
1: I apologize for my assumption <laughs> there. but uh, No,
0: it's all right. It's all right.
1: Uh, Nog is a really, I think, uh, clever and delightful Uh, VR experience. It's certainly one you can play out of VR if you so choose as well, but I've only played it exclusively in VR. Uh, It's a little puzzle game where you have this kind of mystery box and you can rotate it all these different directions and you're fiddling with knobs and levers to open contraptions and containers and find things inside other things. It's really great. Uh, I was going to give you a bunch of kudos because uh, I thought you were, you know, uh, but.
0: I still like the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fun fact, before I joined co-op and actually before I moved to Montreal, I reviewed Nog on mobile and I gave it five out of five. And that is not why they hired me. That that <laughs> sounds very like dodgy, but um, no, just a coincidence. Uh, I did really like the game. And so when I came here and they were like, work with us, I was like, like, actually, seriously, you want me to? Okay, Sure. And now I'm there messing up all their games. <laughs>
1: <laughs> are, I mean, I'm, I don't know if you're able to tell me anything, but are, are they still working on VR as a platform? Is that something that's part of the, the company's goals?
0: Uh, I think all of our projects are secret right now, mm. but um, I, I, I want to say stay tuned, but then I feel like I'm making promises that I mm. shouldn't Well, I'll stay, stay tuned, tuned
1: anyway. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, you also wrote down here a, a creepy sex game. Yeah. Uh, I'm very curious. I'm very curious.
0: <laughs> we don't have to talk about it if it's if it's too much for this family-friendly podcast. Well, um,
1: we can talk about it or not. It's it's up to you. But I you know, I'm yeah. I'm curious what what this is.
0: Um okay, so it is a game called VR Konojo. Um mm-hmm. people who know my work might know that I, I write about sexy games for Kotaku.com. And this was one of them. Um, I don't have a VR headset. So embarrassingly, I played this at a friend's house. Mm. And uh, it's sort of a, a virtual girlfriend game. Um, and she sort of, uh, she makes you do things like she drops a pencil and you pick it up. And she's like, help me or with my a, homework. Just like
1: and, real girlfriends, always dropping pencils.
0: Yep, yep. And then, you know, you you can dress her up and, or dress her down, uh, there's all sorts of options, and this sounds terrible. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it isn't. It isn't. Um, it's not. It's not terrible. It's very well made. Um, VR sexy stuff has a long way to go because obviously the player can't move, and that's not very sexy. <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting. It is very interesting. Uh. One of the weird things is is physics. I'm sure you can imagine. I'm not going to detail it, but I'm sure you can imagine how physics might be weird in a game about mm. a virtual girlfriend mm. who sometimes takes her clothes off. Um
1: fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: but it it is also it is a Japanese game, so it uh it is censored. Um, which is interesting for a game that is about taking yeah. you, your clothes off sometimes. It's um I'd say it's worth checking out because, as I've mentioned a few times, it's well-made. Okay. And if you're into that kind of thing, then it might be the game for you. Uh,
1: What is the title again?
0: It's called VR Kanojo. Kanojo. So K-A-N-O-J-O.
1: Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Um, I finished Astrobot's rescue mission this week, and I think it is absolutely sublime. I love that game with my whole heart. It is, uh, it's incredible. It ramps up so beautifully. I raved about it when I first started it the week it came out and talked about how every level seems like this new wonderful idea that's unveiled to you, and I get so giddy each opening up each new level and each new world. Uh, there are only five worlds, which is not super short, but fairly short, and it leaves me wanting more. But man, that fifth world, it's like they decided, oh, okay, you've got to the fifth world we're going to challenge you. Now we're going to, we're going to make a a pretty challenging set of levels in the fifth world that actually, uh, you know, make you have to be a pretty darn good platformer. And it's so fun. It is so fun. It doesn't feel punishing. It does that thing that I think is essential with games like this, where when you die, you are immediately back. There's no loading. There's no waiting around. Like I feel punishing yourself for missing that jump or whatever. You're just immediately back at the last checkpoint. Uh, which is wonderful. And the last few levels are diabolical and fun. The last two bosses in the game are some of the most fun platforming boss fights I've ever experienced. It's there's one, the second to last boss is basically jaws and you you defeat him the way you defeat, you know, they defeated jaws in the movie, uh, but done with a cartoony, you know, uh panache <laughs> that this game uh, brings to the table it's it's awesome. And then the last boss is like you're almost fighting yourself and it kind of is is taking points from everything you've done in the game up to that point and throwing it back at you. It's so clever, it's so fun. The VR effects are absolutely additive and make the game, I think, unlike anything you've ever played where it's all around you and above you and behind you and you have to, you know, lean in and look around a corner to discover the secrets it's one of the best games of the year for sure. I think one of my favorite platformers ever it is. It, I said this before. I think that if Nintendo had made this game, everybody would be talking about it for game of the year. It's that good. It just, it just is an IP that no one pays much attention to on a platform that people underestimate. And therefore it doesn't get the attention that it deserves, but everybody should play Astrobots rescue mission. It is that good. It's incredible. I also got a chance to play uh another PSVR, I think exclusive. Uh it's this is one from From Software that you know them from the Dark Souls series and, and um other Souls games. This is, could not be farther from that. Uh and it is actually a game I, I don't love. Um it's called Deracine. I'm certainly mispronouncing that, um, because it has accent marks over everything. Uh, It is very slow, lugubrious, kind of emo game. It's basically a narrative that you're uncovering by, again, using a magic pocket watch and manipulating time. You are a fairy and you are floating about, well, not floating, you are moving point to point uh, VR style uh, from these glowy points that you can move through the environment and kind of observing things and picking up stuff and manipulating it and then finding important items that are important to people, which cues memories that you get to observe and clues you in on their storylines. And you kind of have to piece things together and, and uh, look around and um, find out what has happened in this, in this um, kind of 18th century uh, mansion. And I, I, I appreciate it. I think it's lovely. It's very slow-paced. It's like I said, very emo. Uh the story is fine. It's just not a, a game that captured me. I, I like the fact that games like this can exist in VR and uh, uh because w- w- what you're doing in VR is is slow and measured and um observational. It, it really works, but I I don't know. I this uh, This game just didn't really grab me, and I I didn't love it. So, um, very different thing from from software. It kind of has the the flavor of something like people like like someone delivered a PlayStation VR headset to the developers, and they were like, "This is crazy. Let's just make something." And then they made this. You know, it's like a first try. (laughs) It feels like a a first effort. Like, whoa, what would be interesting thing to do in VR? Let's do that. Uh, but I I hope that they stick with it and uh, have something more interesting on the platform because it certainly seems like it comes from a place of love, and I would love to see the from software developers uh, do something even more interesting with with VR. But Deracine, if that's how you pronounce it, uh, certainly not one of my favorites on PSVR. But I will say this is something I've been tweeting about a lot. We're moving up on the the holiday season here, and people are going to have. Uh, all of their big Black Friday deals. I know that PlayStation VR is being heavily discounted for Black Friday. I think there's a $200 bundle uh, with Moss and Astrobot Rescue Mission. Jump on it, man. I, I think that PlayStation VR is in such a good place this holiday season with Tetris Effect coming out last week, uh, Borderlands VR coming out soon, Astro um, Astrobots and Moss and Super Hot and all the games that have come out in the last two years. It is a phenomenal pat- platform with a really strong holiday lineup. So if you've been curious about VR, I know one of the biggest questions that I get from people is, do I need the PlayStation pro? You do not. The PlayStation pro adds a little, but it's, it's very, very negligible. The difference, uh, it, it is very playable on a base PlayStation four. And if you're curious about VR, I would suggest giving it a shot. Moss and Astrobot's rescue mission are worth the price of admission alone. Um, and there are many, many other games that are excellent in that stable as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm bullish, as usual, bullish on VR, but also very bullish on PlayStation VR this holiday season because I think they have just knocked it out of the park with these exclusives. Man, so many great games. All right. Oh, I also played Evasion. I'll, I'll, I'll save that to another time. We can talk about that later. Uh, let's talk. A, uh, Kate is a, is a tabletop gamer. So let's do a little bit of tabletop time. I was so delighted to hear that you uh, not only play D&D regularly, but also have some other tabletop games uh, to mention. Uh, let's start with D&D, though. What is your experience playing that? Are you playing 5th edition?
0: Uh, yeah, we are currently. Um, I've been playing D&D for a few years, but never... Never to completion. You know, you always end up playing maybe five games and then life gets in the way. Uh, (laughs) Yes. And I'm hoping this one will be different. It's with a bunch of friends who live in Montreal. We all get together, usually at my house, because it's the one that's the warmest. Um, (laughs) It is a big problem (laughs) in Montreal, obviously.
1: Uh, It's D&D as means of survival.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I think... My only problem is I usually play a character who is a caricature of me, as I think a lot of people do. So a sort of Britishy kind of um, overexcitable historian type. Um, <laughs> and this time I decided to go in the opposite direction because it's role-playing. You're supposed to try and be something new. So I'm playing a cleric. I guess that's the opposite of me. I'd probably be a bard in in d &D. (laughs) and I love it. So I've gone for cleric. And I just, I haven't been able to connect with my character in any big way yet. So we'll see.
1: Christian, Christian, what would your, what would your class be if you had to pick a class that you felt was representative
2: of who you really are? I mean, I guess Bard is pretty, pretty good. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Bard is pretty good. The hard part is like who I really am or like, you know, who I really am. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a barbarian. I'm a warrior. And it's like, you know, yeah, I I ran cross country and mid distance and track. Like that's, you know, (laughs) that's not like buff warrior. That's like internal fortitude. (laughs) You Um,
1: frequently take your shirt off though. I, you know, you're a barbarian (laughs) at heart.
2: (laughs) Show up to the office and I'm like, what is it? 1030 shirts off. Um, (laughs)
1: It's barbarian (laughs) life. Come on, guy. Everybody do it. Let's do it.
2: I mean, for real. And, and I know like traditional D and D doesn't allow this, but in some of the expanded, Worlds like I'm, I'm the character at the bar that is just like, be quiet, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're the NPC. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, oh, why did we come here? The travelers always come here. Like I'm that. That's me. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, maybe a good quest giver where it's like. You know, something happened and I'm trying to rat out what's happening in the dungeon. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the narc. Yeah. I'm I'm never the hero in these games.
1: <laughs> You're adventurers into the tavern. There's a quiet stranger in the corner playing a handheld video game system in the dark. <laughs> what's he doing? Yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I think, I mean, uh, this sounds maybe self-aggrandizing more than I intend it to be. But I have always gravitated toward Paladin. Uh, mm-hmm. Because maybe I'm a little self-righteous, I'm not religious at all. But I am. Uh, I like to think that I have uh, an aura around me that that lends some light to the world. I like to try to pro- at least that's the fantasy of myself that I would like. I like to project light and uh, and and positivity, and maybe uh, uh, carry a shield and, and protect those in need. Uh, that's always been the class, and in, in really even in video games that I've tried to, that I've always gravitated toward. But um, interesting, interesting mental exercise there.
2: I mean, I think your character would be like, um, you know, like the the guy recounting what happened after the afterward, right? Like um, you'd be telling the story. You'd, you'd be the lead in of what happened. Like there was a law in the ground of great heroes and warriors, and then other people go and do it.
1: Well, that's the problem. We're, all three of us are bards. Uh-huh. Right, that's yeah, the problem. Exactly. It's, a, of us... it's a party of bards. It's uh, very <laughs> very. Unless, None of yeah. us could take damage. We're all, all our loots constantly get broken. It's not good.
2: Or maybe, maybe you could be like the chef, you know, like uh, a <laughs> <The chef. laughs> big Italian family cooking things up, you know, yeah, keeping like, everybody fortified. I'd come in and, you know, we'd find a turkey in a garbage can that we'd get to eat as we entered the dungeon.
1: You know? I, ca- I cast Blue Apron on the group. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like that.
1: Uh, uh, all right. Kate, what else you got? You got, uh, you did a, um, a, um, one of the escape rooms in a box. I know.
0: I did. Now I've never done an escape room in real life, which is a bit of a shame because it's one of my favorite genres of game video game. Um, so I got the chance to play a card game. I invited my friend over. He, he's also our DM. So I know that he enjoys the board games and he brought a small selection of the ones that would fit in his bag, which included this um, Fate of London game. And I lived mm. in London for three years. I'd love to know what the Fate of London is. Uh, <laughs> <turns out laughs> yeah, the no the Fate of London is getting a bomb threat, but specifically the bomb makes everyone forget things. And it wasn't really, mm. I mean, I think the plot is that they wanted to make politicians and the queen forget everything so they could steal something it it wasn't a particularly uh smart plot let's say but um, (laughs) the puzzles were quite good uh maybe anyone familiar with puzzles and escape the room games will know that sometimes you'll you'll look at the solution and you'll be like no that's not a solution that's a that's not a puzzle that's a riddle you're trying to catch me mm. out here. You know, it's like, oh, how do you open this thing? And it's got all these bolts and chains around it. And it turns out that it's like set it on fire or something. <laughs> oh, right. uh, yeah. So, you know, there are a couple of moments of that. But otherwise, it was very good. So
1: uh, this is uh, one of the Deckscape games. There are a number of these, these um lines these these lines of uh escape the rooms like exit and escape the room and this one's deck scape uh i have not played any of the deck scape ones but it is i think the leanest as far as uh footprint of, of any of these games and, and then you kind of were mentioning that about you know your friend having it in his bag it really is just a deck of cards uh and it's like you know it says don't look at any of these cards just do them in order um and so in that sense, I think it's pretty cool because you can really bring it anywhere and then you're playing this cool uh, puzzle game. But you you thought you were a little underwhelmed by the puzzles themselves.
0: Yeah. And also because of the play the cards in order thing, you can only play it once. Like, I, I yeah. know all the solutions well, yeah. now. I don't know what we're supposed to do about that.
1: Well, no. The, I mean, all of these kinds of things are, are basically disposable. Mm-hmm. They're They're one-time play experiences. But there's enough of them that you can keep doing them over and over. You know, there's... There's a bunch, but yeah, if that's true, you're, you're, you better have a team that wants to play it. Cause once you're halfway through and they're like, eh, we quit. You're like, no, I can't, I'll never be able to do this again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I've, I've enjoyed, uh, the, the process. It's kind of funny. You know, some of these actual escape rooms are uh, pretty, uh, expensive and, you know, you get 20 bucks for a deck of cards that, you know, you can all play as, as uh, gives a similar experience. It's pretty cool. Um, but you also played Codenames, which is a game I love. Uh, Codenames Duet is a, a relatively new spin on that. Um, tell me about your experience with Codenames.
0: Uh, I love Codenames. I have played probably most iterations of Codenames. I've played the regular kind, the duet kind, which is the two-player kind, and uh, Codenames Pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, I was expecting, because Codenames is very much a group game, um, that Codenames Duet would have all these complicated rules to make sure that you could play it two-player, but actually it, it doesn't. It's um, got only minor modifications really, which means you can actually buy Codenames Duet. And as far as I know, play it with multiple people, like regular Codename style, which hmm. I think is quite nice. It's basically two games in one. Hmm. Um, it's good. Uh, you know, if you've, if you've got a partner or, or a friend who you like playing games with, but you hate all other humans, it, it makes quite a, nice, um, <laughs> quite a nice game to play because, you know, there aren't a lot of good two-player cooperative games um, that have satisfying endings. I think that's one of the main problems with cooperative board games is you get to the end and you're like, oh, we we won. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's more it's it's less we won, it's more we didn't lose. You yeah, know?
0: basically. Yeah. Um, with Codenames Duet, the way it works is that you both have a separate list of words. If you're familiar with codenames, um, you're usually red, blue team. The red team has, oh, I forget, like t- 10 words that you have to guess, and the, the other team has the same, and it's whoever gets that many first. Uh, with codenames duet, you are working from the same board of words, but you have uh, different lists. And
2: hmm.
0: so sometimes, uh, I'm sorry if this is wrong, it's been a few weeks since I played it, but sometimes. Um, you'll have a word, but it's the assassin, which is the, uh, like the eight ball ultimate right. lose. Um, I'm not explaining this. So,
1: right. No, I think, I think if I may, I, I think yeah. it's, it's a little bit like taboo where basically it's get them to guess this word without saying these words, right?
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. You've yeah. got a bunch of words on the table. And if you have, for example, like tree and bear, you might say forest, but you can't say tree or bear. Um, and with Codenames Duet, you're, you're trying to get all the words, but you're also trying to sort of get them to get your words. It's an interesting collaborative effort that I actually think, uh, is, is very pleasant to play.
1: I really enjoy Codenames. It's one of those games that I, um, I I recommend to everybody. It's like one of those games that should be a staple of anybody's board game collection because you can bring it out for any group and almost always people are like, oh, let's play that again. I think I understand it now. Um. And honestly, the question I get more than any other question about board games is, "What can I, is there a game I can just play with two players? My wife and I want to try something, or my boyfriend and I want to try something. It's always, always that question. So it's cool that they made this for a, a two-player version. I'm, I haven't had a chance to try it yet myself, so I'm intrigued. That's cool.
0: I think they're uh, also making a, a code named Harry Potter, which I I don't understand. Yeah. They made a
1: Marvel one. And, you know, it's this kind of thing where it's like, well, we got this hit. Let's let's <laughs> squeeze every last dollar out of it by getting IP, uh, you know, whatever. I haven't tried the Marvel one. I'm a little worried about it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, that's uh, so much fun. Let's, uh, let's wrap the show up. We do have our parting gift coming up. So stick around for that. But Kate Gray, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Of course, it's been delightful. Uh, can you tell people where they can keep up with you and your work online?
0: Of course. Uh, I think the best place to find me is Twitter. I am at how not to draw. Uh, That Yeah, I pretty much put everything on there. I'm a little less um, on it recently because I tried to delete it. It's not going very well, so you will still see me on there. And uh, you can also find my work uh, mostly at the moment on Kotaku.com, but also all over the internet.
1: Well, I am excited to be staying tuned for, for co-op to see what next games emerge from, from that. Uh, that'll be fun. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week?
2: Yeah, Twitter's the best way to get in touch. It is at Spicer. Um, yeah, that's probably pretty good. Instagram, Christian underscore Spicer. You can see the one bad picture I took of uh, when I was at Blink in Vegas. Because, you know, I'm living life, not photo- not uh, taking photos of it. And Yeah,
1: prove it. Prove your living life. Pixar like, didn't happen, buddy.
2: Look at all these pictures I have of me not taking pictures. So what I've mm-hmm. done is I've hired a crew of f- professional photographers well done. To, to follow me around. And I'm never taking the pictures myself, but I'm always perfectly posed. So I just one- saw
1: online, there was a, somebody posted a picture of uh, a burning man. And uh, all these people were like just standing there at Burning Man looking at the man burning. And they were like, look at all these people just living life, not with a camera in their hand. And I was like... Yeah, but the camera is clearly behind them. And there's probably <laughs> dozens of people behind them with cameras. Anyway,
2: that's, yeah, that's the way to do it. That's, that's that's the way to do it. So once I get them back from the uh, the person running Photoshop on them to make sure I look good, I'll post a whole bunch of candids. Uh, there you go. Just like me in my natural environment, untouched. Sweet. Yeah.
1: But uh, what do you got going on this week? <laughs> Anything oh, else? I,
2: no, I'm not focused. I don't know. No, nothing. Um, All right, fair enough helping people recover from the wildfires and, and donating to those causes. And that's what other people, I would love to see other people doing that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm attempting to prevent my kids from being poisoned by the air and uh, hoping that my house does not burn down because uh, it's literally in ice sight. I can see flames from my house. So that's fun. Um, but I also do the Slash Filmcast, and we're going to be talking about Overlord this week. So you should check that out over at SlashFilmcast.com. It'll be a fun discussion, I'm sure. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And if you have any comments about this show, or want to talk to us or suggest anything, or maybe even review a game yourself, we do have listener reviews. If there's a game we're not talking about enough and you'd like to send us a brief review, send it to DLCfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, we love getting your feedback there. TLCfeedback at gmail.com. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week.
0: Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift.
1: Kate, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week?
0: I sure do. I have so many. I have one that I didn't even write down. I'm going to start oh. with that one. Um, I have been listening to Funk. That sounds like something you'd say in like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Like, I'm sorry, everyone, I've been listening to funk. Um, specifically, this one band called Wolfpack or Wolfpack, however you want to say it. I don't know. So I'm going with both. Um, they are a very lovely band who sort of get together and jam and make these lovely funky songs that are very summery. Um very cheerful. Uh, I'm making it sound terrible because no one likes music that's just cheerful. But trust right. me, it perks your spirits up. It's great.
1: <laughs> I that sounds amazing. It's, it's Wolfpack spelled the yes. way it normally would
0: with a V O-O-G, and a U. Right. So like okay. v- Wolf Wolfpack.
1: Wolfpack. Got it. <laughs> I am. I'm looking that up immediately. I love funk. My Prince is my favorite artist of all time. I love. I love funk, and uh, I can use some positivity right now. So yes, I'm yeah. into it. It's, it's light
0: funk. Yeah, it's good. Okay, so I've also been reading books. Uh, mm-hmm. I've just discovered these things called books. They're amazing. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard of them. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, big fan of myself. I,
0: Love them. I mostly listen to audiobooks currently because reading books, who has time for that? Making <laughs> yourself look at things for hours. Um, but I have just finished a book called Circe, uh, mm-hmm. which is named after and about Circe, the witch who turns men into pigs. And it's a sort of feminist retelling of her myth that I found really interesting, both as a woman and as someone who studied classical literature and civilization uh, at university. Um, I really like feminist retellings of history, probably for obvious reasons, um, where it sort of recenters the woman as the main character. Um, It's very good. It's very interesting. I liked it a lot. So read that.
1: Cersei is it is it spelled like I mean I imagine if you Google it you'll come up with lots of Game of Thrones references. Are, are, is Ye, it...
0: Yes, it is spelled <laughs> slightly differently to that. Thank goodness. Uh, so it's C I R C E. Cersei. Gotcha. Great. Um, uh, as I mentioned, I listen to audiobooks. I just finished one called The Bone Clocks, which is by David Mitchell, who wrote Cloud Atlas. I
1: love. I love um, The Bone Clocks so much.
0: It's incredible. And I keep sort of Googling the Bone Clocks because I want to see people discussing it, but basically no one is. And I just, uh, I don't know who to talk to about it because (laughs) no one talks about books.
1: It's so Um, good. And it's so, it's amazing. The last chapter is so, it feels so possible and frightening. Yeah, it it was uh, a
0: little depressing. (laughs) This was this week I was listening to it. So, you know, uh, maybe a bit much right now. Um, but the rest right. of the book is is much more sort of buoyant-ish. Um, I, I won't say too much about it because I went in knowing nothing about it. And I think that made it better, perhaps. Um yeah, it's
1: phenomenal. He's an amazing writer. And
0: he
1: is. I think Bone Clocks might be my favorite of his books. It's, oh, really? it's outstanding. I loved it, yeah.
0: I'm going to read more of David Mitchell now because yeah, I amazing. liked it. Um, and my last recommendation, is Maniac on Netflix, Mm. Um, which I'm sort of cautiously recommending to people because I'm almost finished with it, and I have no idea what it's about still. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's sort of like it's attempting to tie up threads in a way that I'm like, okay, sure. I don't know what that is, or what that means, but okay. It's just, it's a very visually interesting program Um, and it's got Emma Stone playing a non-comedy character and I think oh who's the other one I forget. Jonah Hill? Yes that's him he's that guy that looks like most of the other guys Um, (laughs) also playing a non-comedic character which I think is quite interesting and the set design it's this sort of futuristic 70s Japanese technology influenced thing that's like it's like looking at a Star Trek set from from mm. back when it looked like that. Uh, everything's sort of brown and orange and chunky. Um, it's amazing; definitely worth seeing.
1: I couldn't get through the first episode, but I think mm. it's because uh, I was I put it on and I was too tired, and I was like, my brain can't handle this right now. It's it's very dense, yeah. and like you said, you're not really sure what's going on at any given time. But I'm, yeah, I'm it's I also
0: it. it's slow. The first couple of episodes, nothing happens, and you're like, why should I care? Um, I think they could have shortened the intro quite a lot to get into the meat of it, which is the interesting visual stuff that happens. Yeah.
1: Cool. It's Maniac on Netflix. The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell and Circe, uh, which I don't, uh, I'm not sure who the author was. That did you mention that? I don't know.
0: Uh, it's Madeline Miller.
1: Madeline Miller. Yeah. Uh, Christian, how about you? You got a you got a parting gift?
2: Yeah, two quickies. One's light, one is a little heavier. Uh, X-Men Red, which I believe it wraps up, uh, just wrapped up, or wrapping up soon, I'm behind. But it's a phenomenal uh, X-Men comic book, Jean Grey-led team that started, I think, March of this year and is coming to a close soon, at least this arc is coming to a close soon. Uh, I believe the first three, maybe the first four are on Marvel Unlimited if you have that. You can find some trades of some of the early issues. X-Men Red is really, really uh, enjoyable. It's a fun x-men book and the kind of doing what x-men does so well and it's you know shine a mirror on our world as told through um but the x-men are enduring and the is other that, one is is that in the
1: in the lineage of spider-man blue and daredevil yellow and hulk gray and all those like that is that
2: next in that line You know, I don't think so, but I don't know. I've only read Daredevil Yellow of those. Um, I think this is canon, and I think it's just kind of called that because Jean Grey is leading it. But I'm Mm. 100% ignorant as to that fact. I don't know.
1: Okay, fair enough.
2: And the other one is I'm starting this book. uh, It it, Messing my head space, but I like it. Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. It's written by a New York Times author. And it's just kind of the, uh, an ex, I think he no longer writes for the Times, but it's just kind of rethinking the idea of uh, uh, economics and uh, <laughs> society built in a way that it is built and in, in type of thinking that might be possible or, or may need to be possible to change things in a large scale way. And I'm not necessarily agreeing with everything, but I think it's interesting to read things that challenge the status quo, and, and this book is certainly doing that. It's Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Um, I will butcher the author's name if I say it, and I apologize for doing that, but it is a nod, Garyondes, um something like that. Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World, and uh, it's uh, it's complicated.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know you, were, you had thought so highly of it, you were going around offering to buy it for people just so they would read it. I, I'm very intrigued it's, by it.
2: It's like the bone clocks. I need to talk about it with somebody like, <laughs> yeah, Exactly. can we do this? Can society do this? I don't, I need to, I need to, I need to have intellectual, I need to go to a parlor, right? And sit around and, and talk.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. So say we all, uh, we got a <laughs> listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This was sent to us by uh, Damian Damien Dolan. He says, back up your data. He said, this is more of a PSA than a real parting gift. But after watching the California wildfires burn, Cities flood and whole states get flattened by storms in 2018. I feel this should be a staple of your to-do list. Cloud backup software has come a long way and it's very affordable. not going to recommend one, but they all do basically the same thing. And there are a lot of choices. If you suffer one of these disasters, the last thing you need to be worried about is if your hard drive with all your kids' photos will be salvaged. Uh, He says, stay safe, Jeff, and everyone in harm's way. Remember, things can be replaced. People can't. Good advice. Good advice. I don't know why it is that we all put off of backing up our data, but uh, do it. Do it. I I can take this to heart myself. I'm very good about photos. I always back those up uh, with redundancy. But uh, other things, you know, we we don't don't let don't let your data go away because even a natural even if you don't have a natural disaster, chances are you're going to have a tiny disaster when a hard drive crashes or something bad happens. So, good advice. Good advice. Uh, my parting gift. Is uh another series. This is on on Netflix as well as a BBC series. I guess it's great to have you here, Kate. I don't, I don't know if you were familiar with it, but I guess it was a massive hit in uh, in the UK. It's called Bodyguard, and it stars the guy who played Rob Stark. And uh, it is just six episodes, but my wife and I, I think, watched them in two days. It's riveting. It's awesome. That it's a show that starts at eleven and then like goes up from there. It is so good. It's a uh, sort of political intrigue and terrorism. It's, it's what I wish 24 was uh, so much better than that show, in my opinion. And um, just, just great, great watch. Uh, Bodyguard is on Netflix. Now you can watch it. Were you familiar with this one? Kate, did you know about it?
0: I'm really bad at BBC drama. There's so many I've missed. So I, I've not heard of that one before. No,
1: I guess it was this, this huge hit in, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and heartily recommend it. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Kate Gray and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us as well. Live. We appreciate it. Uh, We had a bit of a funky recording time this week. Appreciate you guys hanging out and being there with us. Uh, Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L. Sean Madigan and zero star for making those cool bumpers. And thank you to you, for downloading the show. It means a lot to us. Uh, We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.